Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to hit the follow button. Also, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's episode. Have you ever wondered why you fall into similar patterns throughout different relationships? Do you get attached, clingy, or jealous in your relationships regardless of your partner's actions? Do you feel a need to be in a relationship at all times, and if not, you suffer anxiety? As human beings, we all desire to be loved and have a sense of belonging. For some of us, navigating a healthy and secure relationship can be a struggle due to our relationship attachment styles. Today, we are going to go over the four different type of attachment styles and share some insight on how to work towards a more secure relationship. Before we begin, just know that this information being shared today is for insight purposes only. Yeah, I am really excited to talk about this today. This is something when I was researching it further, I just found it so interesting. And I felt like it started to really pull into perspective a lot of different relationships I had and just make a lot more sense of them in a way. So yeah, I think a lot of people out there are going to find this really interesting. Maybe it's going to spark some aha moments for some of the listeners out there. And this concept of attachment styles has been around for quite a while. Uh, British psychiatrist John Bowlby and American psychologist Mary Ainsworth pioneered this research back in the 1950s. So according to their theories, our attachment style is typically formed in infancy due to emotional connection you formed with your caregiver. And this early emotional connection is what determines how we connect with other people within our friendships, in work relationships, and especially in intimate partner relationships. They note that experiences between infancy and adulthood can impact our relationships, but it's our infant brain that is most profoundly impacted and has the biggest impact on our future relationships. So we're definitely going to spend a lot of time today breaking down the four different types of attachment styles instead of discussing the impactful moments in infancy. But if you're curious to know more about that, you can check out the resources below in the description. We're going to have a lot of materials linked down there so you can look into that further. Also, it's common that individuals may feel like they belong to more than one attachment style at different times, and that's a pretty normal thing, although you may find yourself in one dominant type. Attachment styles are characterized by behavior carried out in the relationship, especially in times where someone feels the relationship is being threatened. So typically, if things feel rocky or confusing in a relationship, that is when these behaviors are really going to come to light. So keep in mind that these behaviors might not always be constant, just in times of difficulty in the relationship. So let's go ahead and dive in into the first attachment style, which is anxious preoccupied. So for this type, the thought of being without a partner or alone in general causes really high anxiety and they crave those romantic connections. The person might put their partner on pedestals or be very in tune with their partner's needs while having a lot of negative self-image. The person often needs approval, validation, and responsiveness for their partner to feel a sense of security, and that can be viewed as clinginess. There's also a deep fear of abandonment, so this partner will require a lot of attention and emotional responsiveness, or else they will feel stressed and worry about the state of their relationship. The person often may perceive that they are not worthy of love if they aren't getting that emotional or physical response that they need from their partner. 
They can also be very clingy, jealous, and hypervigilant about their partner if things get rocky, which can be extremely harmful to the relationship. And in fact, that may even push their partner away. Yeah, I have been there. Um, and I totally understand how those behaviors can really push a partner away. Um, in fact, just in my last relationship, I'll get a little candid, I was really driven away by that. It was, you know, the constant insecurity, um, fishing for validation, and it just got to be too much for me over time. So I think a good thing to bring up is that while our partners should add love and a sense of happiness to our lives, they should not be our primary source of love or happiness. Like we need to be able to love ourselves and make ourselves happy first. Mm -hmm. It's not our partner's job to always do that for us, right? So I think that's a good thing just to put out there, have people keep in mind, you know, the more you love and show up for yourself, the more that you can love and show up for other people and really feel secure in that relationship, right? Right. So our next attachment style is avoidant and dismissive. So these are the emotionally independent, kind of the lone wolf types. They may have fewer long-term relationships or generally find relationships unsatisfying. They don't feel that they need a relationship to feel worthy or complete. They are just fine being single and don't have that separation anxiety like in the first type. They have high self-worth and self-esteem. They don't need validation of other people. Emotionally, they may suppress or hide their feelings when faced with a challenging situation and tend to deal with it internally. So instead of, you know, reaching out to their partner, being vocal about it or asking for help, it's something they may just kind of push down and, and deal with it silently and on their own. They may feel triggered or threatened by a partner trying to gain emotional closeness with them, especially that they have that coping style, right, of always kind of keeping things to themselves. Mm -hmm. And if the relationship becomes challenging, they may back away from the situation using avoidance or even just flat breaking up with their partner to avoid dealing with those feelings. So before we move on to the next style, just please keep in mind, although these styles may seem very difficult to navigate, having a healthy relationship with someone with any of these attachment styles is possible if both partners work to understand the triggers that occur, and also the appropriate boundaries needed to maintain that relationship. And we're going to talk about that as well after we introduce all four types. So this is kind of not just, you know, seeming a little bit doom and gloom. So keep in mind, we will talk about that after we introduce all of these. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you brought up, Lisa, that Every relationship's going to take work and every relationship's going to be mm -hmm. different and every person's going to work in the relationship differently and sometimes right. people just have to put that work into the relationship to really understand their partner and it's not bad either way. So the next style of attachment is disorganized, fearful, avoidant. So for this type, they might really desire a relationship, but it also causes them a lot of stress or fear. They may have issues depending or trusting on their partner. Their behavior in emotional situations may be unpredictable. They might respond with anger or outbursts. They might find it difficult to trust others with their feelings. And they might decide to not outwardly express their emotions or vulnerability. And they find it really difficult to open up. So we see that during times of conflict in a relationship, this type will be apprehensive to communicate their feelings or identify their emotions. Obviously, this can cause a lot of issues in the relationship if there is no communication to resolve these issues. And this can put the relationship at a roadblock. You know, that can be a very difficult thing to be 
in a relationship with someone that does, isn't communicating their feelings and you know something's wrong mm-hmm. and you're just not able to communicate it. Right. And I feel like in the past I've been there too, you know, when someone is very withholding of how they're feeling or and, and you, especially when you can tell like there's something wrong and they just won't let you know about it. Some people do need right. time, right, in order to kind of process and let you know what's really going on. But overall, if someone's just really kind of being dismissive about it, they're not talking to you about it. I mean, that leaves the other partner. I know it left me feeling like, well, what am I supposed to do with this, right? Like, I know something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. So how could I fix it, right? Or how could I help you come to a place of resolve if we we can't even speak about it to begin with? So absolutely a roadblock. I think that's a great way to put it. And these don't necessarily have to be in those romantic relationships. It can be with friendships or just any sort of relationship you have throughout your life. Yeah, I'm happy you put that reminder out there because absolutely, it's not just intimate partner relationships. Like we said in the beginning, friendships, family relationships, even relationships with people at work, right? Kind of in any capacity, Mm -hmm. these attachment styles can come up. So great to keep that in mind. The last attachment type we have is actually the, quote, healthy type of the four. And this type is secure attachment. So while the other three types are characterized by some type of overarching insecurity that influences their behavior in conflict, this type is secure with themselves. They're able to open up to others. They're able to show their emotions and vulnerability, especially in difficult times, which is a big key piece there. There's a balance with partners being able to rely on each other, and it's not just one-sided. These relationships are based on compromise, honesty, and emotional closeness, so not being closed off like in some of the other types. These types thrive in relationships, but they're completely fine being single or on their own. They don't have anxiety around that. They have a positive self-image. They don't rely on validation of their partner. And they also don't become jealous over their partner and have a more relaxed and open approach to handling difficult situations. So we know that these attachment styles can significantly impact relationships, but we also know that these styles are created early in our lives and remain relatively stable in behaviors over time. So that being said, it isn't easy to just get over these thoughts or behaviors, right? Or become a more secure attachment type. So what can we do if we recognize that we may fall into one of the, quote, insecure attachment types, so one of the first three? First off, regardless of the type, therapy can be an excellent resource to help you appropriately take that deep dive into childhood experiences that shaped your attachment style. Because again, the research shows that's where these come from, right? These are things that happen in infancy, early childhood that shape our attachment styles. Also, taking time, whether it's in therapy or just on your own, to try and recognize your triggers that cause these behaviors, that could be another great step in gaining a better understanding of your attachment and how to navigate these triggers with your partner. But we're also going to share some tips now for maintaining a healthy relationship for each of the insecure relationship types. Yes. So for anxious attachment style, They may have some of these unhealthy responses to emotionally triggering situations such as constantly overthinking the relationship, focusing on potential threats to the relationship that may or may not actually exist, pushing boundaries by constant contact with their partner, or trying to be as close as physically possible, posing blame or guilt during an argument to get what they want. So 
If you notice these things are going on, how can you redirect these unhealthy behaviors? First of all, managing anger. These failings may bring up resentment or frustration with a partner, even when it isn't warranted. When you become angry, communicate with your partner in a way that can bring understanding as solutions such as, I am upset and here's why. You may not understand it, but for some reason it really bothers me. And I know that may sound a little bit cheesy, but it's a really good framework to give yourself so you can communicate that you're upset Mm -hmm. and that, you know, it's okay if you don't understand it, but it does bother me. And once you get more used to it, you can kind of like make it a little bit your own so it doesn't sound so generic or structured or something like that. You can also practice mindfulness to tap into the thoughts and emotions to help process them in a more constructive way. You can also try changing your thought patterns. If you work to understand what triggers you, then you will have a better idea of when intrusive thoughts may come up. Anticipating your negative emotions, writing them down, and work to challenge those negative feelings. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great tip. And although that might seem like, okay, easier said than done, right? I think you brought up a great point, especially with that that first redirect, right? With communicating and over time, it won't feel as generic, it won't feel as structured, Same thing with like the whole process of changing your thought patterns. Like the more you do that, the more you really understand it and the more that you kind of redirect your mind in that way, right? Um, Just challenging those negative emotions over time, the easier it's going to get. And when your brain starts to realize like, hey, this is kind of our new way of processing. We're kind of shutting out the negative and, and plugging something new in here. Over time, you know, your brain really starts to take a hold of that. So it does become a lot easier. And I'm saying that from my own experience. That's something I have worked really hard on. And at first I was like, okay, yeah, right. My therapist was okay. going over that with me. Exactly. I was like, okay, great. I'll just think differently. That works. Um, it, it's not a cure-all. But again, it can be so helpful if you really put that into practice and you're really consistent with it. Yeah, it can also give you a break to be like, if you're able yeah. to be like, okay, I'm really triggered right now. This is why. And you can stop and kind of process it and you're not so quick. Because I know if I'm anxious and I'm not thinking clearly, I'm not able to process things the way I need to. But if I'm able mm-hmm. to recognize that, okay, I have this feeling of anxiety. What do you think it's coming from? And if I can do that, at least it can give me a break to take that time and be able to hopefully respond a little bit better. Totally. It gets your brain kind of out of that negative flow, you know, and if Mm -hmm. your brain's really used to going into that negative flow, I know I used to be very much like that. um, Then yeah, totally a welcome break, right? To kind of breathe and just put your mind kind of in a different space. So for the next type, for the avoidant dismissive style, their responses to triggers might look like focusing things they can control and avoiding focus on the relationship, especially when their partner is asking more of them. They may also withdraw from their support system instead of reaching out for supports. They may sulk or complain instead of dealing with the issue head on or even avoid their partner or again, just break up with them instead of dealing with the issues or coping with how they feel. So, For this type, when we kind of want to redirect some of those behaviors, first and foremost, take personal space when you need it, but also communicate this to your partner, right? So don't just kind of like leave or give them a cold shoulder or just ghost on them. Um, When you need space, that's totally fine. You need space, but just communicate that with your partner. So if you're sensing an argument is coming, but you need time to process how you're feeling, you, you, you know, you just need that moment of that pause, 
just tell your partner, you know, we're getting heated. I just need to take a break for a moment. Can we come back to this, right? That way there's that open communication, but you're allowing yourself the space and time that you need. And that coming back to it is really important. Um, Take that break, take the time you need. And if you say you're going to come back to it, make sure you come back to it. If you can work Mm -hmm. out some code words or something that could just be like, oh, you can be like pineapple and everyone (laughs) knows, all right, let's go ahead and take this break. We're both getting too upset. And then, you know, we'll come back to it in 20 minutes or something like that. Just make sure you do that coming back. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely important. Because I think as a partner, if you know, you're having a really important discussion, and your partner says, like, I need a break, let's come back, they never do. I mean, that's going to make them feel like it's just not important, right? And that can underneath it all just tell that person, even though that may not be their intention or really how they feel, that they're not important to them, that they're not important enough to talk this over with. So it's definitely a great point to keep in mind. The second redirect is opening your communication. And we know this may be very difficult, especially at first. But again, over time, practicing open communication will teach you about your emotions and your feelings instead of just repressing them. I like to think that a lot of our reactions or a lot of our behaviors are kind of knee-jerk reactions, right? They're things that we've learned and things that we just kind of go to, especially in times of conflict. So if our knee-jerk reaction is just repress it, just go inwards, just be very avoidant, the more that we kind of encourage ourselves and, you know, begin to practice communicating, the easier it will get over time. Yeah. Lastly, challenge your inner critic. This type is so prone to self-regulate with critical thoughts, especially around expressing emotions or how others may respond to them. Example, you know, if you think I can't get too involved, it'll just be a letdown. Try to think of a time where someone you cared about really showed up for you, right? Mm -hmm. Because this can help you realize that your inner critic isn't always right. I mean, this is something that you may have started to do to protect yourself, right? In times where maybe someone has let you down. But if, yeah, you start challenging that and you start to think about different examples of how that kind of contradicts that uh, that initial knee-jerk negative reaction, that's going to really help you just kind of reframe, right? And, and think right. about more of the positives in that situation. Yeah, those are some great suggestions. Thank you, Lisa. So lastly, for disorganized, fearful, avoidant attachment, triggers may look like partners behaving inconsistently or partners forgetting important events, coming home late or not acknowledging their partner, a partner trying to become emotionally close or confronting them. These steps resolve are pretty much identical to the last type. So to manage these triggers, try managing anger through practice taking your space when you need it, but communicating that and coming back to it, challenging your inner critic and practicing the open communication, using those I statements and being calm. So those I statements, they're kind of my favorite. They're my go-to when I'm working with some Mm -hmm. people if they want to kind of express that emotion. And like a good example would be like, I feel sad when you don't follow through with what you say you're going to do. And it puts it kind of those feelings on you it's not like saying you are making me sad it's saying I have these feelings and this is why so I think that's a really important way to communicate those things yeah so much less of an attack right because if so if you're talking with someone it's like well you're making me really mad you're like 
well, screw you. Like, (laughs) I'm not the one making you mad. You're mad. And then, like, whatever you were arguing about, like, just gets gets bigger and bigger and it's not you're no longer arguing what you were arguing about now you're arguing about you know being able to feel things and all the fun stuff that happens in Mm -hmm. arguments so if you would like to better understand what attachment type or types you fall into you can take the free quiz that we will have linked below to find out more Yes, I really encourage everyone out there to do that. I think it's pretty eye-opening. And most of us, I think, just hearing some of those examples can kind of, you know, figure out where we may fall on the spectrum of these attachment styles. But definitely something to look into. And these attachment styles definitely affect a lot of individuals in their relationships. But it's something that we don't really hear about too often. And after the research, I took a hard look at my relationships. And again, I realized the bulk of my issues I had with previous partners was due to them having some of these insecure attachment styles. And it was just super eye-opening for me. So hopefully this brought some insight to the listeners out there as well. Um, I think this was, again, something that was a well-needed conversation. But on that note, I think it's a great time to do a little meditation. So all the listeners out there, my lovely co-host, Sarah, if you are available right now to take on this meditation, I just encourage you to get into a comfortable seated position. Find yourself in a space where your body can fully relax. We're just going to do a very simple guided breathing meditation. So in this comfortable position, whatever it is, Either find a point in the room to focus on or gently close your eyes. I want you to start taking meditative breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. With every exhale, let gravity just sink you into your seat a little bit more. With every exhale, allow the tension you may still be having in your body to just melt away. Focus on your breathing. Try to make your inhales the same length as your exhales. If it helps, you can even count in your mind the length of your inhales and the length of your exhales. Notice the rise and fall of your chest and your belly as you draw in and exhale. only thing that's important right now is breathing in and breathing out. With your next couple breaths, I want you to think of something that brings you joy. 
with every inhale and exhale, really just put your breath and your energy toward this thought of what brings you joy. On your next inhale, take a deep breath in through your nose, really expand your lungs all the way, and take a deep breath out. Again, take a deep breath in, fill your lungs all the way, and hold your breath for a count of two, and a big exhale out. And you can go back to your normal breathing at this time. Do whatever you want to do to wake your body up. Gently float open your eyes, wiggle around. Just bring yourself back into the present moments. And I hope you enjoyed that meditation. I hope that was a little bit of relaxation in your day. Yes, thank you, Lisa. Maybe a little bit too much relaxation (laughs) never a bad thing you know so just kind of wrapping this up some of my last thoughts on the attachment styles is I just think it's so interesting how it's so connected to infancy um, Mm -hmm. just like a lot of things that we've talked about you know with domestic violence with aces those really, really young years and form so much of your life that a lot of times you don't think that if you didn't form secure attachments as a baby, when you, you know, your baby, you don't have any control over that, that it can really, really affect your relationships throughout the Mm -hmm. rest of your life. I just thought that was so interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm happy you brought up those past episodes, right? Especially the one about the ACE studies. If you know, listeners out there, if you have not listened to that, um, it's adverse childhood experiences and how it has a really profound impact throughout the lifespan. So I encourage you to go check out that episode. I'll include that down below so you can kind of um, easily find that in our episodes library. But absolutely. And my last thoughts here, really, if you have one of the insecure attachment styles, I just really encourage you to seek support in working through some of the negative feelings that come up. Um, These are things that are changeable. It just, it does take some work and some effort, right? You have to really, again, be willing to confront maybe things that occurred in childhood, which I know is not always easy. And that's something that everyone is entitled to do on their own time, especially depending on what had occurred in their infancy and childhood, right? That may have shaped some of these things. Um, And also confronting your triggers, confronting, you know, how you kind of react to things. So it could be a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, this is something, you know, we, we all deserve healthy, loving relationships in our lives, whether that's with an intimate partner, with a friend, with our family. And so we all really do deserve to do the work to move more towards a secure attachment style, right? And not just for the people Mm -hmm. we're in relationships with, but first and foremost for us. So just want to put that out there. Um, You know, we we all deserve that. We all deserve self-love as well. So I really encourage listeners you know, definitely check out the the quiz below. I took it. And I'll tell you right off the bat researching this, I could pretty easily understand how in the past, um, I definitely fit with one of the insecure attachment types. I, I definitely saw a lot of those patterns 
you know, in my previous self. And now, you know, after I've been someone, I go to therapy, I do a lot of inner work, and I'm not perfect. It is something I've been working at. Um, I actually got secure attachment on my quiz. And I was super happy about that. Because again, I knew in the past, that was definitely not my attachment style all along, right? So, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of hope in that, right? Like we can change and we can get to where we want to be. But again, I encourage you guys to take that quiz. Uh, we're also going to have more resources below. Uh, for instance, some articles talking about those things that are happening in early childhood that could cause this, how to deal with these attachments in relationships. Uh, we have books and videos on the topic as well. So again check out the resources. There's a lot more to learn. Big thanks to my co-host and also to the listeners out there for learning more about this today. And we hope you will join us for our next conversation.